welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott, and I'm here to read you a couple bedtime stories. Tonight I have for you two tales that were written today, but are about Victorian-era horror. I thought it was a fun little theme to put together, since so many of you enjoy my episodes of actual Victorian horror stories. So, here's a contemporary take on them. Our first episode this week comes from Vanessa Kennedy, whose name you will recognize from her fantastic ghost monologue series that was featured on the show. She's an aspiring author and an avid reader. She loves listening to ghost stories and learning about the dark, spooky underbelly of the world. Haunted places, serial killers, and stuff like that. This week, Vanessa has for us... Three Husbands. Miss Philippa Oxford weds Mr. Frederick Leslie Housley on Saturday, March 30th, 1868. Last Saturday marks a sad day for the Housley family. Mr. Frederick Gregory Leslie Housley, the youngest brother of the Baron of Greenling, died at the age of 57. It is reported by the attending surgeon, Mr. Housley passed late in the evening after suffering from acute stomach pains and shortness of breath. The cause of his death is reported to be natural. In the wake of his death, he leaves the former Miss Philippa Oxford a widow. The couple would have been married only four months. The widow Philippa Housley marries Mr. Ashley Kent on Saturday, September 4th, 1872. The wedding was held at a small chapel on Mr. Kent's estate. Last evening would have marked the one-year anniversary of the late Mr. Ashley Kent and the widowed Philippa Housley, formerly Oxford. The plans for these festivities were abruptly cut short by the unexpected death of Mr. Kent. Mr. Kent died suddenly at the age of 34, leaving his young wife a widow once more. Celebrations are in order once again for the former Miss Philippa Oxford, who is also the former Mrs. Frederick Housley and Mrs. Ashley Kent. On Saturday, she is to wed Sir Lion Albert Edwards. It is hoped that 1873 will bring lasting happiness to the new Mrs. Lion Edwards. Miss Constance Eileen Elizabeth Edwards, December 28, 1840 to April 21st, 1873. Philippa smiled at the small stack of newspaper clippings she held in her hands. All were personal triumphs of hers. At the young age of 17, Philippa was strongly encouraged, or rather forced, to wed the 57-year-old Mr. Frederick Housley. And so obediently, she did, though it would be a grave decision for him. A disgusted grimace appeared on her face as she remembered her first husband. She was very happy that he died. At the time of her wedding, she could not imagine a life with the old man, so she made it so that she wouldn't have to. Her smile widened as the memories of the day of Frederick's death filled her mind. 
It was an absolute splendid occasion. Truly it was. It definitely marked a turning point in her life. She had never done anything like that before. But now that she had started, the idea of stopping was inconceivable to her. When the idea first struck her, she laughed it off. It was insane, unimaginable, un... Or was it? How hard was it to get rid of one's husband? Philippa was a proper lady, raised to be a delicate rose in society, beautiful and elegant. But didn't roses also have thorns that could pinch and draw blood? Yes. She could stab him, but that would be just messy and most definitely a scandal would erupt in the aftermath. She could just imagine the unflattering headlines. Wife stabs husband. No, that wouldn't do. She could arrange an accident of some sort. Yes, an accident. But which kind? A hunting accident? No. Philippa despised guns and the act of killing innocent animals for sport. How about an illness? But how could she orchestrate an illness that would actually kill him? Quite easily, actually. Conveniently, the poison, arsenic, she learned was readily available and conveniently located in the house's kitchen was very deadly if consumed at that moment of this formulation. Philippa was aware of a small rat problem her house had. Once the idea of using arsenic was planted in her head, she had a quick, discreet chat with the cook about the problem, her problem, the rat problem, that is. Apparently, arsenic could be placed in food or drink and be utterly tasteless. She couldn't bear the thought of the poor rat suffering. It was perfect. Philippa had already endured two long, agonizing months with this aging fool, who she was forced to call her husband. His brute-like behavior was appalling. His balding head and stout figure were another embarrassment. For the next two months... Philippa put some of her precious solution into her husband's drink. That was another thing that irked her about him. He was very fond, too fond, of his drink. But in hindsight, it was actually his fondness for consuming too much alcohol each night that killed him. Or that was what it was made to appear like. Philippa ignored the complaints of pain. Inwardly, she was rejoicing at the fact that he was in pain. That meant that it was working. And soon, he was dead. Philippa rose one night to find... Silence. That was an oddity, because her husband snored loudly. But that night, there was no thunderous noise erupting from his bedchamber. Philippa bathed in the silence for hours, smiling. This was the first time since her premarital days that she could sleep in silence. Of course, the next morning came, and that ghastly discovery was made. 
The surgeon was called and announced that he was, in fact, dead, which was no surprise to her, while the household and the rest of her family grieved. Philippa rejoiced, inwardly, of course. She had gotten away with it. Now that she was free from the tentacles of that unseemly marriage, and she was also free to see if she could do it again. She had now discovered a new hobby that she quite liked, though it took a lot of work and much of her time to obtain a husband and then to kill him, but it was worth it. Philippa was blissfully content to be an on-again, off-again widow. After the appropriate amount of time had elapsed for mandatory grieving, Philippa was free to find another husband. And soon after, she did. Mr. Ashley Kent of Cardiff was twenty years her first husband's junior, which was a large improvement. Even though Ashley was still a young man, he could still be weakened. Philippa actually, surprisingly somewhat, liked Ashley, so that was her rationale for allowing him to live so long. She surprisingly liked his company. But soon the honeymoon phase phased out, and the impulse to sprinkle small amounts of her secret weapon against her unwanted husbands became too hard to ignore. So, a few months just shy of their first anniversary, she started putting some into his food. Unlike her first husband, Ashley didn't like liquor. Thankfully, Ashley did like to eat, and there was always a buffet set out for breakfast each morning. After almost a year of marriage, Philippa knew that he liked strawberry preserves and clotted cream on his scones. Each morning after the food was laid out, Philippa would pour small amounts out of her vial into the sweet, jelly-like preserve. Since Ashley was still relatively young, she added more to his pitcher of cream that he put in his tea, too. One week before their anniversary, Ashley started to cough violently at the table again. His face grew red from the strain. His eyes started to water. His Adam's apple started to bob rapidly as his throat started to tighten. Philippa knew what would happen next, so she placed a concerned expression on her face as her husband choked. Soon, the choking escalated into a severe gag, which resulted in him losing his breakfast. His vomit was a pinkish color, and chunks of half-digested strawberry preserve covered the table. Ashley muttered an apology and excused herself. Once she had left the room, a delighted grin was platted on her face. She knew it wouldn't be long now. For weeks now, Ashley had had digestive issues. The task of keeping anything in his stomach was nearly impossible. 
It was either coming out one end or the other, as much as it was a disgusting thing to witness. It was worth it. It was so worth it. The events that followed later that day followed the same pattern as her first husband. And just like her first husband, Ashley Kent was dead too. She had gotten away with it. Again. Once again, she pretended to mourn the loss of yet another husband. Shortly after, she met Lion. He was, for her purposes, perfect. He wasn't perfect enough to let live, but for the time being, and maybe one year of marriage, would be just long enough. Maybe two. She hadn't had a husband for more than one year, so to shoo away any suspicion, she would let him live until she got tired of him. As their courtship progressed, she learned quite quickly that she wouldn't only be gaining a husband, she would also be gaining a very suspicious and, lack of a better word, ugly sister-in-law. Constance Edwards was almost ten years Philippa's senior, and what society dubbed an old spinster. If Constance wasn't so suspicious about Philippa's intentions and plans, Philippa might have shown her pity for her situation. As the wedding drew near, Constance's distrust for Philippa became mutual. The itch for murder was resurfacing. Before Philippa could dispose of Lion, she would need to get rid of Constance first. Several marvelous and creative ideas popped into her head. Starving her in a locked room was a tempting option, but it was also a childish one. Surely her cries would be heard. Gagging her would be a necessity. Then again, a quick push down the stairs was also an alluring idea. But there was a chance that Constance would survive the encounter, and she couldn't have that. How was she going to do this? Philippa had developed a knack for killing husbands, but murdering other people, that was new to her. Somewhere deep inside of her, Philippa felt like she would reach a new level in her abilities if she could succeed in this task. Constance was nothing more than an obstacle and a delicious challenge. After the wedding, to Philippa's delight, Constance was invited to stay at Lyon's estate. But this provided a multitude of opportunities to get rid of Constance, Similar to what she did with her first husband, Philippa returned to the plan of tainting drinks. Nightly, Constance would drink a sleeping tonic. It was the perfect opportunity. As much as Philippa didn't like her sister-in-law, she would still nurse her back to a state of unconsciousness. Lion thought it was a sweet gesture that his new wife was helping his sister. But was Philippa really helping? 
No, not helping per se. Well, <laughs> helping her to an early grave, yes. Soon, Philippa's efforts paid off. Constance's death was nothing of a surprise. No one had even reported on her death because she held such little importance in society. No one cared about a husbandless spinster, so no one looked into her death. It was rumored that she died of melancholy shortly after the wedding of her brother. No one knew the truth, and no one would. All she got was a small obituary in the paper with just her name and the dates of her birth and death, which Philippa held in her hand. Watching her loved ones was euphoric in nature. It was the most amazing thing she ever felt. The high that Philippa felt from Constance's death lasted for months. Killing Constance was like nothing she had ever felt before. She could remember the look in Constance's eyes when she died. The last thing she wanted to see was her brother. At Constance's plea to see her brother, Philippa leaned down and whispered, He will be joining you soon. And he would be. Soon. A loud cough echoed through the air, which made Philippa snap out of her revelry. Her newest husband was following the same pattern as the previous, though she needed to be careful. Her scratches, as she liked to call them, couldn't be too close together. It had only been six months since Constance's unexpected demise, and it had only been nine months of marriage. With Lion, Philippa was taking her time, killing him slowly. Even though her third husband was slowly dying a few rooms away, Philippa could feel the itch again. She needed to kill again. But who? Who would be next? She could marry again, but that would take time. <laughs> she would need to wait for her present husband to die firstly, and then pretend to mourn, and then start the whole process of luring an eligible man again. Now that she was getting up in years, finding a man who would take her would be a difficult task. No. She needed to scratch the itch sooner rather than later. She could dispose of a maid, but that was too easy, too convenient. She needed another challenge. Oddly, she needed someone like Constance again. Killing her husbands became boring, a menial task that needed to get done. But disposing of others was invigorating. She could be creative in her attacks, even if in practice. Philippa never went off script. She still dreamt of thousands of new, delectable, and devilish ways to kill. With every new idea, she imagined a new person to kill. For example, her idiot cousin Alistair. She would submerge him underwater. He deserved a watery death, because he liked to torture her with it as a young girl. And as for her half-brother, Nelson, well, nothing 
would be more pleasurable than to strangle him. She had threatened to do such acts many times in the past, but it was always said under her breath and not with true intent behind them. As much as both scenarios were delightfully wicked, she knew she couldn't. It wasn't the fact that it was morally wrong. It was the fact that Philippa doubted that she could actually hold a man that was double her size down underwater long enough to kill him. And she doubted that she could actually strangle Nelson as much as he did deserve it. Killing husbands was much easier. Philippa shuffled the pages, debating. This was bloody frustrating. She collapsed on a nearby chair and groaned out her frustration. Mindlessly, she stirred a cup of tea. One, just like it, was placed by her husband's bed. She sighed heavily and took a sip of her own tea. As she sipped her tea, Philippa tried to formulate a plan. Lion would probably die in a few days, maybe weeks if he was lucky. Days would be better. She would just speed up the timeline. Yes, that is what she would do. She pulled at a small chain that hung around her neck. Just like before, she had done it again. And no one was the wiser. But who would be next? Our second episode this week is by M.L. Parker. Parker fell in love with the macabre and mysterious at the tender age of six and has been enamored with it ever since. From horror to unsolved mysteries to true crime to serial killers, her passion has grown with each new discovery. Being profoundly influenced by the works of literary masters Stephen King, Edgar Allan Poe, and H.P. Lovecraft, she was inspired to begin her forays into the world of writing horror fiction. This is her first tale to be shared publicly, and hopefully, it will not be her last. Tonight, she has for us The Thing in Room 246. I am writing this dreadful letter today to regale to you a tale of utmost horror and revulsion which has besieged my conscience for over a fortnight. It is a tale so unimaginable, so unfathomable, that no person alive could scarcely believe what I am about to reveal. A tale so horrifying that the very reminiscence of it is sending me running for the madhouse. It is the tale of the thing in room 426. It was a chilly evening in October, seemingly much like any other. 
I had been visiting my favorite city to partake in the seemingly ordinary bourgeois activities of city dwelling after a long spell of seclusion from the civilized world. As weary travelers are wont to do, I had made reservations to recuperate from my day's activities in a rather well-to-do hotel on the good side of town. Of course, none of this will hold any merit or provide any sense of security from the events that shall unfold in the following paragraphs. But I shall regale you with it all the same. The room was quiet. I proceeded to nestle myself in the peaceful splendor of the twilight hours and dimmed the lights in preparation for a long and restful slumber. However, something ominous immediately disrupted my serenity, which would become utmost insanity in a matter of moments. I began to perceive an almost imperceptible fluttering of movement in the shadows. Surely my mind must have been up to no good at such a late hour, as minds tend to wander off into all manner of disturbed realms in the murky hours between dusk and dawn. I tried fervently to coax rationality back into my senses, but it was all in vain. I am unable to construe a detailed description of the unhallowed horror of the darkness, but can only convey what my terror-struck conscience perceived. No conceivable prose shall ever accurately expound the ungodly abomination I beheld. There was a thing in the shadows, a thing. I could feel it, I could sense it in every fiber of my earthly being, and I could ignore its loathsome presence no longer. Oh, the repugnant stench of putridity, the rancid, festering flesh, the unimaginable horror. I could scarcely draw breath without inhaling the nauseating stench of a thousand years of decay and feel the sickening stare of a thousand dead eyes penetrating my feeble mortal shell. Innumerable mangled and gnarled limbs grasped beckoningly in the darkness, repulsive talons glimmering odiously, threatening to pull me screaming to my doom. I was frozen in terror, unable to move even an inch of my remaining sinew. It was my destiny now, and no amount of fervent mental escapism could prevent the inevitability of my demise at its dreadful hands. In a flurry of sheer terror, I threw what few belongings I had into my suitcase, fled the room in a blind panic, and made haste for the nearest train. 
I vowed to get myself as far away as I could from the horrors of room 426, even journeying to the most far-flung lands if necessary. I vowed to erase this odious memory from my conscience if it was the last thing I could ever accomplish during my time on Earth. Because, after all, revolting apparitions from the darkest of under-realms are just that. Apparitions. I resumed life as normal for the next few days. I journeyed around the expanse of my country at a leisurely pace, enjoying the sweet placidness of sanity. It was almost as though I had never encountered unimaginable horrors in the dark of night, and I was quite content to continue in my blissful state of ignorance. A short spell later, I check into yet another hotel in yet another city. The room I am assigned is, coincidentally, also four, two, six. But I barely pay this any mind. I had been eagerly awaiting a fresh start in a new location since the sinister memories of the past had finally almost faded into obscurity. After a day of activity that mirrored almost exactly that dreadful day of seemingly so long ago, I retire to my quarters. I undress with every intent of having a long and luxuriant bath as a reward for my daily expeditions. With high hopes and a clear conscience, I open the faucets as hot as my flesh can withstand. Now, it is my time to cleanse my body and soul. Unknown man found savagely slain in hotel bathtub. Friday, the 27th of October, 1866. This past Wednesday, an unsuspecting housekeeper made a horrifying discovery whilst going about her nightly duties on shift at the Oxmoor Hotel. The corpse of a man was discovered in room 426 and was so brutally mangled that an official identification could not be made. Due to the especially traumatic circumstances of this discovery, the housekeeper, who wishes to be unnamed, was escorted to the High Garden Sanatorium in a fit of utter madness. Police officers who attended the scene were also expediently sent to the same sanatorium in a condition that can only be described as pure, unadulterated, catatonic horror. Upon conducting a post-mortem examination of the corpse, it was discovered that this unnamed victim had been slashed, mangled, and pulverized by instruments or creatures completely unseen by modern forensic science. The entire crime scene was bathed in blood, and all that remained of the unfortunate gentleman were a few shredded segments of flesh. Most disturbing of all, 
The man's eyes were ripped clean out of what remained of his skull, looking almost frozen by the terror of his final moments. An investigation into this most horrendous of deaths will continue until further notice. At the time of publication, the Oxmoor Hotel has refused to issue any statement, and the circumstances of the murder will continue to remain a mystery. Thanks for listening. Thank you to my authors, Vanessa Kennedy and M.L. Parker, for your incredible stories tonight. It was so fortuitous that I got both of these. Isn't it crazy? I want to hear from both authors. It's bananas that they're so similar in so many ways. Both of them had like news articles, one at the beginning, one at the end. Um, I mean, they were both set in this Victorian 1800s. I just thought that was so interesting that I got these two very different stories but had these themes in them that were so similar and so I thought that would be this would be a fun episode and we all love our Victoria well not all of us I have gotten I have seen the comments on Spotify don't worry that are like I don't like the old stories I skip them that's fine that is your prerogative I don't know why you need to let me know it on a Spotify note for a show or an episode that isn't the Victorian ones but that's cool what you know uh, speak your peace. Uh, say your say your truths, and you do. And I've seen them, and I hear I hear them. I'm not going to stop doing the Victorian episodes because they're I like old spooky stories. Um, also, I don't mean to just do like Victorian as in like English old horror stories when I do those episodes. There's just a lot of them. There's just a lot of them. Anyway, you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all at scare you to sleep and that is where you can get updates about the show um see my fun little graphics i make every week my little videos to announce the new episodes sometimes i'll post on instagram videos of my cat helping me work so that is the show and you can follow me personally at shelby b scott on twitter and instagram i don't do much instagram though I had a tweet blow up this week, and that was really strange. Um, so if you happen to be on Twitter and saw my name floating around yelling about David's bridal, yep, that was the, that was me. That was this Shelby Scott. Um, so <laughs> super weird. You go and you just rant about an old job you had one time, and then you wake up and you've got 13,000 likes and a lot of people yelling at you about how you should be grateful to your corporate overlord. Not a lot of people. It was mostly people being like, yeah, they suck. But I had one lady in particular and I wasn't very nice to her, but she fucking deserved it anyway. (laughs) So what else? Oh, you can join the Patreon for as little as $1 a month for bonus or ad free episodes at $1 a month. And starting at $3 a month, you get bonus episodes. And yes, I have one that is going to be coming out soon a creepy pasta episode and I also owe you the last chapter of Frankenstein. So, oh and the the $10 tier by the way, one of the perks is once I read through any of these classic stories, I'm going to compile them all like Frankenstein into one big long audiobook that will be available for the $10 and up tier or ten, there is no up. There's just $10. There's no up. But the $10 tier So go check that out if you'd like. And you already heard that last week there was a new episode of Historic Hangouts, my other show. If you ever want to hear more of me, there's another show called Historic Hangouts where 
I talked to my husband about historic hangouts, and last week I was the one who took over the show and gave all the info, and I thought last week was a pretty funny episode if I do say so myself, so check that out. What else can I have you check out? What other things can I make you, tasks I can send you to do? Uh, nothing else. Uh, let's see, what did I, oh, this week I baked some lemon bars and they were, oh, they were so good. I even got the recipe a little bit wrong, but they were so good. I used the preppy kitchen recipe and I don't know if you follow him on YouTube. He has a great YouTube too. And I think he's also preppy kitchen on YouTube, but I used his recipe. I cut it in half and, uh, just fantastic. I love lemon bars. When I was growing, when I was a kid, I wasn't into lemon. And now that I'm an adult, oh my God, I'm so glad I've discovered it or not discovered it, (laughs) but you know, I've gotten more into it because I've I've gotten to where even like Sour Patch Kids, my favorites are the lemon ones, which is crazy because when I was a kid, I couldn't order Sour Patch Kids at like the movies because I was, I hated the lemon and orange ones so much that I (laughs) couldn't eat them in the dark and risk getting an orange or lemon one. And now those are my favorite. So weird how taste buds change over the years. Isn't that strange? Speaking of food and taste buds, this weekend I'm going to the Renaissance Fair here in the LA area. And it's not really in the LA area. Uh, I can't remember the exact location right now, but it's the SoCal, the big, big SoCal Renaissance Fair. And I'm so excited. I haven't been to a Renaissance Fair since I was a kid. And I'm so excited to eat all the things and yeah, see all the people. If you're there this weekend and see me, say hi. I think I'm going to be wearing this new all pink outfit I got. Sounds garish. It is. I'm going to look like a Barbie. It's going to be great. (laughs) Or uh, I'm going to look like I'm attempting to look like a Barbie. I don't think I'll look like a Barbie, but um, it's going to be fun. And so yeah, if you're there, say hi. Last weekend, it seems like everyone went last weekend. I was seeing pictures of some of my favorite podcasters there and friends who ran into some of my favorite like podcasters and celebrities and things. And not that I go for celebrities, but still, it just seemed like I missed a lot last weekend. So I hope this weekend's, I know it's going to be fun. I don't need to run into celebrities to have fun, but uh, I felt, I felt a little bit of FOMO. Like, wow, I chose the weekend after everyone and their mom was there. <laughs> that's how, that's how it always goes with me. I, I'm always late to the party. Uh, but yeah, so if you're there, say hello or buy me a turkey leg or I'll buy you a turkey leg. If you need a turkey leg, uh, a turkey legs for all. <laughs> all right. I'm going to go everyone. I hope you're having a fantastic week. I hope you're drinking your water. I hope you're wearing your sunscreen. I stole that from our author last week because that is a good reminder and I hope you're just you know take care of yourself this week treat yourself right whether that's taking a long and luxuriant bath like our (laughs) our poor protagonist from our second story tonight where I hope that no creepy shadow monsters murder you or it's um baking some lemon bars or it's just sitting in the sun somewhere isn't that nice just sitting in the sun or not answering those texts or phone calls that are coming in from work or that really toxic family member or whatever, you know, just whatever, whatever, whatever is going to make your heart and soul a little lighter and happier. Please do that for me this weekend. See, I gave you some more homework, more tasks to do. (laughs) All right, everyone, again, drink your water, wear your sunscreen, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams.